Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today we're here with Steve Fletcher. He's the Director of Economic Development at Low Country Local First. Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dane. Appreciate it. Hey, tell everybody, what is Low Country Local First? Great question. We are... A lot of things, but I think most pertinently for your listeners, we are a local economic development nonprofit based right here in the low country of South Carolina. We advocate for and support locally headquartered independent businesses of all type. Okay. So that would range from your mom and pop shops on Main Street to businesses that are headquartered there. Yeah. So we're not, the, the best way to describe it for someone who might not be familiar with a 501c3 that focuses on supporting exclusively businesses that are headquartered in your backyard would be probably to draw a parallel a little bit to a chamber of commerce. We're an association of local businesses or of businesses rather, but the differentiating kind of factor is that all the businesses in our sphere, all of our member businesses are locally headquartered. And yes, they can be sole proprietors. They can be freelancers. They can be very small mom and pop operations going through one of our many accelerative or incubative programs that we run here. We do a lot, so it's really hard to put a fine point on it. But in that sphere are, yes, the much larger organizations as well. South Carolina is rapidly growing, developing, expanding. There are large businesses moving here. A lot of folks want to live near palm trees and in beautiful mm -hmm. weather year-round, believe it or not. But there, there are also a lot of businesses that have been here for decades that are still small businesses, but they've got five, six, seven hundred employees, manufacturing firms, really big ag firms. Amplified Ag is a really big a company here that works with emerging agricultural technology and implementing those platforms and licensing those platforms and finding ways to equip local farmers with the know-how and the expertise to do what they do more sustainably. And one of their one of the businesses under that umbrella is called Vertical Roots. And if you live here in South Carolina or farther afield, depending upon where you're at on the Eastern Corridor, you might see Vertical Roots lettuce in your grocery store. They're a huge company here. And we've got tons like that. Smithy Ironware. They, the former director of Lake Crusade, uh, marketing director of Lake Crusade North America is now the director of marketing at Smithy Ironware. And they are, they are a competitor now of Lake Crusade. If you're familiar with those really beautiful high-end uh, enamel, ceramic, cast iron skillets at Dutch ovens, Smithy Ironware does these really beautiful handcrafted, hand-polished cast iron skillets. They're based right here in, in the low country. So what we do as a 501c3 that supports them is we put together workshops and webinars and opportunities for them to network. We encourage them to engage in what we call the multiplier effect, which many studies have shown. If you get businesses sourcing and purchasing and, and partnering with other local businesses, the community wins. And there's a lot that goes into that. We can dig more into that if you'd like. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. I think everyone understands why you want local businesses in your community. You want those small mom and pops to pop up on Main Street and Mm -hmm. grow up there. But what is the why? Why support these businesses over other businesses, I guess, is my question. Yeah, it's a great point. Great question. We're low country local first. So we're not low country local only. We I just want to start there. We understand it takes a lot of different moving parts to create a robust, dynamic, interconnected community and economy. But we do think if and wherever possible to prioritize patronizing and doing business with and supporting local independent businesses, purveyors of food, retailers, service companies, we want to encourage our greater populace here to do. We want to make it easier for them to do. We want to educate them as to how and why they should do. So you're asking why should yeah, folks why? try to prioritize those uh, business interactions. If you spend $1, and this bears out in different ways, depending upon which research you're looking at. So I'll give the approximate numbers most recently. And you can dig more into these numbers through reports from Civic Economics, which is an economic consulting agency I'm sure you're familiar with, and Amoeba and ILSR, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. These are think tanks or think tank adjacent groups that do some of this research to try to put a fine point on why it's so important to patronize local businesses when you can over some of the big non-local competitors. If you spend a dollar at a local business, and we can talk about local financial institutions as well, 50 to 60 cents of that dollar stays in the local community through a number of different market forces and phenomena, whether it's purchasing, local purchasing, it's the owners live in that area, so that money is recirculating, or it's nonprofit donations and research shows there is a greater likelihood that those folks at local businesses are going to reinvest, whether it's a local financial institution or it's a local business, will reinvest in what's going on in that community through local nonprofits or other things. It raises, increases the tax base locally. So 50 to 60 cents of that dollar stays in the local community when you use that dollar at a local business. 15 to 15 cents stays in that community if you do business at a brick and mortar that is not local, but has some presence in your community, like a Harris Teeter grocery store if you're here locally, as opposed to a low country food bank or a low country street grocery. Or if you're purchasing it like a Best Buy and you're getting your your, your, uh, your stuff at a Best Buy as opposed to 12 South, which is based right here in, in the low country. Uh, they make Apple accessories. In sense, we'll stay here locally. If you're buying on Amazon or somewhere online, which has virtually no physical footprint here in your local neighborhood, that's the least local purchasing option at your disposal. Some say zero cents. I think the most liberal estimate is four pennies of that dollar stay locally. And again, the math and the calculus and the methodology of how we get to those numbers is probably longer than a 30-minute conversation, but you can look those up. I didn't invent this. And we're talking about money because if you, let me phrase this correctly, there's labor involved in delivering something to you or presenting something to you. So there's labor, so there's wages, but you're talking about more than that because you're saying 50 to 60%. So you're talking about the profit is staying in the community. Yeah, yeah. And so we deal also with independent business, private businesses. So we're not, our members, we have 560 paying member businesses in our sphere here at Low Country Local First. Again, of all sizes, all shapes, all stages, all ages, all industries. These are independent private businesses. These are not publicly traded businesses for the most part, even though we have really large 
publicly traded big businesses here based in the low country doing great things like BlackBot, for example. They create basically a technology business. But yeah, these w- w- when you're independent and you're private, you can make decisions that are not necessarily directly tied to the desires or needs or whims of some shareholders or stakeholders who are in far off places who don't necessarily have their fingers to the pulse of the needs and the desires and the whims of the local community. I know that this time of year, it's just a few days after Thanksgiving and the Saturday after Thanksgiving is shop small. So how is this different? How is this different or how is this the same as that whole endeavor? Yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly the same. So we encourage folks to shop small. We have our own kind of shop small campaign called Buy Local Season. We've been doing it for a decade now, based right here in the low country. It's the lead up to the holidays. It's the whole two months before Christmas and Hanukkah and the winter holidays. And so we encourage people to shift at least 10%. We're not saying go 100% of your shopping locally, but we encourage folks to, if they can, and if they can do more, great, but start with shifting intentionally 10% of your holiday spending to local independent businesses, restaurants, purveyors. So that might be the wreath or the Christmas tree you buy. That might be the decorations you purchase. That might be where you bring your family out to eat at a local restaurant. Make sure it's local as opposed to an Applebee's if you can. And so it's little changes that we think add up to a bunch. And we're actually doing a lot right now to try to figure out how we can collect data around how much money we are responsible as a local economic development nonprofit for shifting to this local economy. That's a work in progress. We've been around for 15 years and we've done our best to try to estimate that number, but I think there are ways that we can do a better job of really fleshing out what that number means in terms of terms of all those positive outcomes that I was referring to earlier. Sure. That was my next question. You know, what, yeah, what data is there to show? But I'm sure it feels like it's working and you have 500 members, so they Mm. recognize some value in this. So what do you do the rest of the year? If the last two months of the year are when you encourage the shop locally, like what's happening the rest of the year? Because usually what I hear about shop local campaigns is typically they're a seasonal thing, Mm -hmm. but what happens the rest of the year? Great, great question. Yeah, a lot of things is the short answer. Longer answer is, is it depends upon what time of the year. So if you're looking at springtime, we do an eat local season. So mm. spring here in Charleston, great time to, to get out, to get together with friends and family. Last year, our eat local season was at a local distillery called Firefly Distillery. It's for many folks, they've seen Firefly, Sweet Tea Vodka in their liquor store. That's headquartered right here in Charleston. So they've got a really cool footprint right here in Park Circle, which is a community in North Charleston, South Carolina. And we brought four or 500 folks out to their big field. We had local live entertainment. And what we did was we've done this for over a decade, this Eat Local Season capstone event known as the Chef's Potluck. We set up about 50 tables, each of which was a local restaurateur or chef de cuisine or head chef from a local restaurant or food truck or dessert company. And we had them all set up and it was like putting a name to a face and a face to a name. And we invited the community out. And what they were able to do was you sign up for a ticket or you purchase a ticket, you come out, you get to know these people who are the names and faces and forces behind your food. So we're all about being the conduit for those face-to-face interactions and those connections. And when you choose to purchase your meal at a butcher and bee, you get to know Michael Shemtov and you understand that you're supporting his family and you're supporting his ability to locally source food, which may be more expensive 
expensive, but they'll be healthier and less environmentally negatively impactful when he's able to source ingredients locally and create these really innovative, delicious, fresh meals. Again, as opposed to purchasing at a Chili's or an Applebee's or an Arby's. So we set up these opportunities for people in the community to connect with their community restaurants and their farmers and their agricultural producers. We invite all the fisher people out locally. We're a big agricultural region here in the low country, South Carolina, a lot of seafood. And we had, we had again, just a lot of opportunities for people to connect. So that's a fundraiser for us, but it's also part and parcel to our mission of lifting up and amplifying the voices of the local businesses and local farmers and local food purveyors. So that's just a piece of it, of what we do throughout the rest of the year. We also have an advocacy arm. So we advocate for, for measures and statutes to be passed at a local, municipal, sometimes state, sometimes federal level, depending upon what's going on. We, we advocate for, for policies, essentially, that will be in one way, shape, or form hospitable to our local businesses. Formula business, dang, formula business prohibition work is one thing that we've done here locally. For your listeners, what is that? I, I'm not familiar yeah, with you're that. Not, if you're not familiar with it, it's really interesting. It's, it's a way to work within the system to to create a neighborhood or a business district which is as local and independent as possible. So it's easiest to do this before a business district emerges, right? It's easier to be preemptive with this than retroactive. I'll say that first and foremost. But what we did a number of years ago in a beach community here in the low country called Folly Beach was we worked with council members and elected representatives and officials in the area. And we also launched a public awareness campaign to get the to get public feedback and to eventually get folks on board with this to essentially, in a nutshell, there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of archaic and language that's a little esoteric, but essentially we had written into law a number of measures that change the zoning regulations and requirements on one of the major streets in Folly Beach and the surrounding area, such that if a business wants to open up in that area, it has to satisfy a number of zoning requirements. Those zoning requirements are such that a non-local business would have a very hard time opening up there. And what I mean by that more specifically is like a Starbucks, if a Starbucks wanted to move in rather than a Center Street Coffee, which is what is in Folly Beach, they would have to look and feel very unique from the Starbucks that you find on King Street in Charleston proper. So what's happened there is there are now no chains there. There are now no big behemoth corporations there on Folly Beach. It's a beach community made up 99.9% of local independent stores, retailers, and restaurants, which is really cool. It helps retain the funky, vibrant, unique character of that community. And we've also done test runs in places like Avondale and Park Circle as well. Fascinating. Okay. That's interesting. I I didn't know about that, but I guess that makes sense. That's yeah, it's a, cool, so, it's a cool tool to use. You've got to have people on board with it. It's not something you can just ramrod through. But if the community wants to remain unique and wants to do so by retaining the local independent businesses that are already on its main street, that it's something worth exploring. Your title is the Director of Economic Development. So what is it that you do specifically? 
Yeah, it's a weird title and it's a weird organization. Not every region or municipality has an organization, first and foremost, like Low Country Local First, right? You think of Keep Portland Weird or you think of Local First Arizona. There are different local first groups across the country. We're one of the largest and most active, but there are others. But most municipalities and regions don't have an organization like ours. And even those who do may not have a director of economic development, right? When folks probably who listen to your show, Dane, think of an economic development director or official or spokesperson or representative or team member, they're probably thinking of, I think your position, right, is you're a director of economic development at, uh, in a, for a county, right, Galveston? I think that's traditionally where folks' heads are at. I work with a lot of the local director of directors of economic development for Goose Creek and Mount Pleasant and Charleston here in the Lowcountry area on some of this on some of this work. So to put a fine point on what I do, it's a little bit of everything. I've only been in this position for a couple of years. I've been with the organization only for four and a half years. I've been in Charleston for 10 or 11 years. I'm originally from the Northeast, but a lot of it is new to me. And a lot of, because of the nature of our work changing and the area of Charleston in terms of size and composition rapidly transforming from day to day, the needs and wants and obstacles and opportunities of our members are also mutating very quickly. And so is my position, quite frankly. I started here. We've got a co-working space I'm in right now that we run as one of our many initiatives as an organization. When I started here four years ago, I opened up this space. I brought in a lot of freelancers, contractors, bakers, candle makers, chefs. We ran workshops and webinars for them to get them connected and get them support. We connected them with local financial institutions, CDFIs, which are community development financial institutions for folks who can't secure loans at rates that are amenable to them for one reason or another. So I work with a little bit of everything, do a little bit of everything, work with everybody on our team, but primarily my focus is on stewarding some contracts that we have with local municipalities. So James Island and Goose Creek right now are two towns here or cities here in the Charleston area. Um, and we are working with them on various things. One of the primary directives of our contract with Goose Creek is to launch these commercial storefront attraction services to try to connect landlords with landlords or brokers with local independent businesses who are looking to open up either their first or second brick and mortar. Goose Creek is one of the most rapidly developing and growing areas in town. So that's a piece of I it. I think that, pro yeah, that program is sounds pretty useful. Tell us yeah. about that program. It's yeah, it is. So we, and I'll say this, we're, we're still in the infant stages of that program with Goose Creek, but we're really excited about it. We're making a lot of inroads. We're learning about who owns what, and we're identifying a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs who I think would make great candidates for the program. And the program is all about finding entrepreneurs or early stage business owners for the most part, there are some long established businesses as well looking to open up maybe a second location. We have a, a salad empire here in Charleston called Verde. They're a chain and there are a lot of kind of chains that are local here. So I don't mean national chain, a lot of local chains that, that are always looking for new areas to pop up in. In any case, yeah, good question. What does that look like, that program? A big focus is on making it, making that move to brick and mortar 
affordable and accessible for these nascent stage business owners who maybe have never negotiated a lease before, or maybe don't know the first thing about building out a space for their restaurant or their bakery, or they don't know what licensing fees or regulations they need to fulfill in order to actually move in. And they've got to confer with an accountant and a web designer and a lawyer, and they've got to figure it all out yesterday, right? So we're there to help them get their ducks in a row before all of that. Plus, we've set up a really cool opportunity to subsidize the first couple of years for these businesses. I'm talking about their, the lease rate. Let's say uh, just for the ease of math, and math is not my, though I have economic in my title, math, unfortunately, is not one of my strongest suits. Let's say it's $1,000 per month to move into this corner store location. We will make it such that business only has to pay $500 for the first few months and then $600 for the next few months. And we'll slowly ramp up to market rate. And we'll work with a number of funders and philanthropists and programs here in order to support that entrepreneur as they work up. And we'll make it as easy as possible possible for the landlord or the owner of the building to get what they're looking for at market rate. So we'll gather up the money and we'll hand them a check, the landlord or the building owner, and they'll get that check the same way they would get it from their tenant. But we'll, we on the back end as the local economic development nonprofit will work to subsidize that rate until that entrepreneur is able to get up to market rate. So we've done that on a street here called Reynolds Ave. It was a bustling, flourishing thoroughfare a number of decades ago when the old Navy base in North Charleston was up and running. When it closed down almost overnight, that entire area changed and transformed. And a lot of these once thriving business corridors froze in time. And so we have been very strategically working with a lot of community partners to, and there is a lot of folks working on this, but to reinvigorate that area and make it as characteristic as possible when we think about what entrepreneurs are actually opening up shop on that street to make it as representative as possible in that area. It's a it's an area, North Charleston is uh, largely populated by people of color. We want business owners of color to be on that street. And so we've got a program called Good Enterprises actually, which it's based off a program out of Jersey City, New Jersey from Rising Tide Capital, which essentially equips and empowers low to moderate income, traditionally overlooked entrepreneurs with the tools and the connections and the networking and the marketing and the you know, financial literacy to be able to either launch their business or bring their business to the next stage. So that's almost like one of our incubator accelerator type programs that we've been running for two years. So I help a little bit with that as well, although that is directed by our program director, Raquel Padgett, and that's doing phenomenally. We've graduated 200 students through that. We're starting a Spanish speaking contingent. So we're looking forward and, and that's to sort where of that goes. To, to make the business owners in a community look like mm -hmm. the community. Yeah, that's a big piece of it for sure. We looked at our membership as a local economic development nonprofit and said, oh, great, we've got four or 500 members, but they're largely white, they're largely male, they're largely able-bodied, they're largely, largely cisgender, they're largely like heteronormative, they're largely not representative of the low country. And we're low country, local first. So we're being disingenuous if we act like this is some sort of scientifically generalizable sample of the entirety of the local independent business community here. So yeah, we wanted to look more representative of the ecosystem that we say we serve. And that was only part of why we launched Good Enterprises, but we did think, okay, let's try to support all business owners and meet folks where they are and, and then we give folks from the Good Enterprises program 
one year of free membership into Low Country Local First. So that helps diversify our membership. But in tandem with that, we've also made, we've recommitted ourselves to going out into the community and making inroads intentionally with businesses that haven't traditionally looked like the businesses in our network. And so I don't know, the numbers either 20 or 25%, maybe 30% now, but we vastly increase the number of business owners of color who are in our roles as members of, at LF. That is so interesting. This is this whole thing is just different from what I do on a day to day basis. <laughs> yeah, and I listened to some of your other interviews, and I, yeah, I was worried that maybe mine would be coming out of left field a little bit too much. So I appreciate you having me. No, it definitely is out of left field for me specifically. But I think sure. that I can see how this fits as long as we're not saying that we only want local businesses. But no, you're saying mm -hmm. that it's a piece. Yeah. And yeah. I, I agree, this is probably a piece that is probably underrepresented or underappreciated. Mm -hmm. And I can see that you're obviously having a great impact. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it, yeah. again, low country, local first. The, uh, we, I think everyone, it can't hurt for everyone to have someone in their corner, right? A supporter, a cheerleader, someone advocating for them. And so I think I, I don't like to fall into a scarcity mindset. Like I think just because we're supporting local independent businesses, it doesn't mean that anyone who isn't a local independent business should like implode tomorrow. Like I do believe that there is a large enough pie for everyone to partake and contribute and engage in the community in a way where again, all of this this constellation of interconnected entities and stakeholders are able to benefit. But local independent businesses, I think, need that ambassador, need that advocate, need that supporter as much, if not more, than any other segment in the business ecosystem in any municipality or county right now, because they are up against an unprecedented amount of pressure. And I'm not even talking competition. I'm talking just pressure when you look at, again, these online kind of placeless behemoths like Amazon. And again, people use Amazon and they should not, I don't necessarily think everyone should feel shame or guilt for using Amazon. And we can, we can go into detail about it's for or against purchasing products on that marketplace, but yeah, and we have members who use Amazon, right? So we're not going to say Amazon needs to shut down tomorrow and just expect the world to go on as normal. We are very entrenched as a society in doing things in X, Y, and Z ways. To get to ABC will be a long, educational, transformative path and will require a paradigm shift. But I do think if folks can at least start to think a little bit more locally about how they choose to do their business, there will be nothing but positive outcomes. And again, I don't want to go down too far down any one path, Dane, but I appreciate you, you giving me the microphone there. And also when you think about environmental sustainability as well, a lot of research has been around for, for hundreds of years on this piece. But I think right now there's a moment where there's a lot of data coming out around just why it's so important to not ship things a thousand miles around the world, spewing out thousands of tons of dirty carbon into an atmosphere that's already filled up with dirty carbon. There's something to be said about walking down the street and picking up a fish from abundant seafood in North Charleston, as opposed to shipping in frozen, probably lower quality 
seafood from halfway around the globe, driving in your car to pick it up, driving home. There are environmental, there are positive environmental outcomes as well when you think locally and you think about what you can do in your backyard as opposed to what sort of business there is to be done globally. So this whole thing is just so interesting. I agree that choice is great and the more options that we have, the better. And obviously every different type and size of business needs support. And so I'm glad that you're there doing this. Like I said, yeah, this is so far outside of my wheelhouse, but yeah, I can totally see the point and the place and where you fit in. It's good to have you. It's (laughs) There's a need for something like this. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. If any of our listeners are in other communities and they're thinking that maybe they should do something like this, do you have any advice for them as they get started doing something like this? Yeah, that's a really, really good question, Dane. I'd say first thing they should do is go to amoeba.net. That's A-M-I-B-A dot net. That's the American Independent Business Alliance. It's all about shopping independent and figuring out why this is important and how they can tap into this global and this national movement. But specifically, it'll help direct them to a local independent business alliance in their neighborhood or their community. And if there isn't one, then honestly, just start Googling how to create a nonprofit. If you're proud of you live in uh, Johnsonville, wherever, Arkansas, I just invented a city, I think, and you love Johnsonville, right? And you think it's like the best place. It's the bee's knees. You go to amoeba.net, there's no Johnsonville local first, or maybe your county doesn't even have something like this, but you want to explore some of the initiatives that we are talking about today, and you want to maybe spearhead a few of them, or maybe you've got innovative ideas that none of us have even come up with, and you think Johnsonville would benefit, then I recommend you look into starting your own nonprofit. It can be one or two people at first. That's how ours started. And you put a board together and you start to tap other local independent business owners in town. Maybe there's a Johnsonville credit union that you think some of those bank owners should do business with because that union is more likely, research shows, to reinvest in the local community. So one plus one will equal three in that case. You'll see a lot of positive impact from that. Then I'd say start there, amoeba.net. ILSR is the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. That's another really cool organization. They're a little bit more advocacy focused. So if you're looking to volunteer or send, and they're also federal level. So if you're looking to send mailers or emails or make phone calls to your local representatives for them to vouch on your behalf for policies and legislation that's more hospitable to local independent businesses across the country, I'd say check that out too. And last thing I'll say, Dane, is Please check out what we're doing here at Low Country Local First, which may impact you even if you're not from the eight counties of the Low Country of South Carolina. The biggest event that we put on is very much so regional, really national in scope and nature. It's called the Good Business Summit. It's it's a one-day conference here at the Charleston Music Hall in beautiful downtown Charleston, South Carolina. It's all about pairing profit with purpose. So we invite folks from across the region to speak. We have panelists that are made up of local independent business leaders here who have been around for decades. And we ask them about marketing best practices and operational HR best practices. But then we also amp it up to the social entrepreneurship aspect. And we say, hey, how can small businesses continue to contribute to a healthier community? 
How can they continue to contribute through their business operations and their partnerships to a greener, cleaner environment? How can they be social stewards of their neighborhood? And so that's the Good Business Summit. Check it out, goodbusinesssummit.org. That's goodbusinesssummit.org. We'd love for folks. Tickets are like 35 bucks. We've got breakfast, lunch. If you fly in, I guarantee you'll have a great weekend in Charleston. We're capping the number of attendees at 500, but we still do have tickets left. And that's happening February 9th, 2023. Fabulous. This uh, podcast is going to be very timely then. So that's, I hope if any of our listeners have interest in that, yeah, that they go, that, that could be good. Hey, I have learned so much. This has been great. I, I guess I didn't know what to expect and you hit me with a bunch (laughs) of stuff that I didn't expect, but I think this is, I think this is useful. And I think there's definitely a place for that. Cool. I appreciate it, Dan. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, big fan of the show and a big fan of anyone else doing economic development work. I know our work is very nebulous and amorphous at times. Yeah. I appreciate you passing the microphone around to all of the different corners of the world of economic development. And I appreciate you doing what you're doing on your show. I've got a podcast as well called Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve, where we talk with local business leaders here in town. And we do that in partnership with a low band radio here in Charleston on 96.3. So I actually go into the studio, record that once every other Monday, and just chat with folks who run businesses or want to run businesses or maybe are on our board or are making the world a better place in some way, shape, or form. If they can make the case to me that they are affiliated or they in some way, shape or form impact the local independent business ecosystem. And we can give a lot of latitude with that. Then I'm happy to talk with them. That is so interesting. And I'm actually putting together a booklet that is economic or podcast powered economic development. Because oh, cool. I think that's totally the secret. Yeah, Go that's out and awesome. talk to I, them record it. I heard you to that end. I heard your episode last week. I think your most oh, recent sure. episode. Oh, sure. Yeah. Where I talked about right that. Up, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You were talking all about that. And I thought that, yeah, I thought that was spot on. You were yeah, sitting okay. outside of, of a not local independent business. I was. I that yes, you. but I wasn't inside. I didn't go in. For <laughs> That's <something>. right. <laughs> Interesting. Right, you kept your this has been so. This has been fun. This has been good. Um, yeah. Likewise. Let's keep in touch. Yeah. I, you're doing some. You're doing something, and it obviously is working. So you know, keep at it. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. And uh, yeah, let's definitely keep in touch. And good luck to you and everything you're doing in Texas. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 